0: The 28th Psalm of David. To you, O Yahweh, I call my rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their heart. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of Yahweh or the work of His hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be Yahweh, for He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Yahweh is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. With my song I give thanks to Him. Yahweh is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of His anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is the
1: word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, What an awesome work you've done
0: that we sinners may come before a holy God in prayer and be heard and have mercy on us for the great sin that so often is exactly our prayers.
1: For how self-centered how unbelieving they are. We we admit freely, as Bunyan said, I believe that the best prayer we ever prayed had enough sin in it to damn the world. Father, now... Reassure us that you hear your saints.
0: And may we pray the better for it by grace. In Christ's name, amen. Looking at the 27th Psalm, we saw that the steering wheel can be on the right side of the car. That right isn't always wrong. In the 27th Psalm, we drive from confidence to lament. And in doing so, we don't have to put the car in reverse. We don't have to turn around and go back over ground that we thought we had gained in our sanctification when we do so. But now, the wheel is back on the left. In the 27th Psalm, we drive from confidence to lament, and then there's a brief conclusion of confidence at the end. In the 28th Psalm, we drive from lament to confidence, and then there's a brief conclusion of lament or petition at the end. But overall, the drive is from, in the 27th Psalm, confidence to lament, and here, from lament to confidence. And though we feel more comfortable driving in this direction, like this feels the appropriate direction. This feels right. Though that's so, we often don't know how to get there. And we know that's where we should end up, but we don't know how to get there. If we fail, the reason is as simple as a failure to use
1: the map. Here, in this psalm, in the Word of God, we have excellent
0: directions. That is not to say it's easy. It's not as if though we have directions, now any time you're in lament, you can just kick it into confidence because you've got the secret method. It's not a quick and easy drive, but we do have clear directions. Now, much of this prayer concerns prayer itself. In the first portion of the psalm, his desire to be heard, and in the second portion, his rejoicing that he's been heard. Lament will not turn to confidence if we don't believe our lament is heard. And to get there, start where the psalm starts. To whom does David pour out this lament? And again, I point out to you, and I will not tire of doing so, that he cries out to Yahweh. What you have as a title, all caps, Lord, is an inadequate substitute for the name of God that He gave His people. David cries out to Yahweh. This is the covenant name of God that he gave his people and in which he disclosed himself to his people. He not only says, this is who I am, this is who I am for you. And this is why David can refer to Yahweh as my rock. He can say, my, because of the covenant relationship that they enjoy. And he can say, rock, because the God he's in covenant with is Yahweh. And all that God disclosed himself to be for his people with that name. Because of covenant, he says, my. Because of who Yahweh is, he says, rock. If we're to move from lament to laud we're to move from petition to praise, our prayers must be built on this rock. And not the sand of self. Build your prayers on the rock of Christ and you will find confidence comes. Build them on the sands of self and you will find it falling through in your prayers as much as you seek it, as much as you're praying, as much method as you're putting into it. They will fall through or else you have a delusion, if you have any confidence. Too often, we think we can get our prayers heard by praying better. If we just prayed better. We think if we rub the lamp of prayer just the right way, we'll get a genie out of it. Paul Miller writes, Oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're focused, focusing on praying, not on God. Making prayer the center is like making conversation the center of family mealtime. In prayer, focusing on conversation is like trying to drive while looking at the windshield instead of looking through the windshield. See, though this prayer concerns prayer... You see this. Don't try to build faith in your prayers. I mean, not faith in your prayer, that your faith inside of your prayer. Don't try to get faith built up inside of your prayer by prayer. Don't try to build faith in prayer by your prayers. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Turn your eyes to the word. Both written and living. Focus your eyes there. That's where confidence is built. Not by looking at your own actions, but by looking to the actions of the one who is your great high priest and mediator through whom your prayers are brought before the Father. Why is David crying out? Why is he so desperate to be heard? Verse 1 again lest if you uh, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Now it's subtle, but throughout this psalm, I think you again, it's clear, it's almost, it's just there again and again in the psalms, that again, David is dealing with his enemies. And so again, this is a prayer that concerns deliverance. But David is not, it's not as simple as David wanting to be delivered from his enemies. It's not that simple. It's more complex than that. It always is. David doesn't simply want to be delivered. He doesn't want to be like one of the wicked. He doesn't, his fear is not simply that he won't be delivered, but that he will be regarded like one who isn't delivered. If David is not heard, he is like those who go down to the pit. God does not hear the wicked many have pondered does god hear the prayers of those who are lost and a great deal of confusion is met in this and in conversations concerning this because it's never defined what is meant by hear what do you mean hear god is omniscient and in this sense he hears the prayers of the wicked just like he hears everything he hears the prayers of the lost person that are addressed to the Christian God just as much as he hears the prayers of the lost person whose prayers are addressed to some pagan idol. He hears everything. And we can even go further than this. There's no indication that Hagar was regenerate. And yet we're told that God heard her. Not only He heard her, but He answered her. And still, even so, What the saints enjoy in God hearing their prayers is so far above this that in comparison to what the wicked have privy to, if they ever do, such as Hagar does, it is absolutely correct to say that God doesn't hear them and He hears His people. Whenever Israel had rejected God by her sins and idolatry, God tells her through the prophet Isaiah Behold, God's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. He hears but he doesn't hear. And do you notice the parallelism that was in the first part of Isaiah's prophecy? His hand isn't shortened so that it can save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear. For God to hear means that he saves. For God to hear means that he, as he comes to the conclusion, means that his face isn't hidden. This goes back to what does blessedness mean? It means the favor and grace of God. The face of God beaming down upon you. It means Him hearing you. It means Him forgiving your sins. If God hears, this is the way you see it in this psalm, He speaks. Did you catch that?
1: Be not deaf, lest... If you be silent,
0: if God doesn't hear, he doesn't speak. If he does hear, he speaks. You remember whenever he redeemed Egypt, uh, redeemed Israel out of Egypt, that began with him hearing the cries of his people and then speaking in power to deliver them. The wicked are not spoken for by God. They're spoken against. To be heard by God means God speaking for you in your salvation. Do you see why David is trembling? Why he wants his prayer to be heard. is not simply he wants to be delivered.
1: If he's not heard... He's like the wicked. You see what a blessed privilege prayer is. Treasure the saints.
0: He hears and he speaks. The God who spoke creation into existence speaks for you in response to our. Do
1: you see the disjunction here? You, you, me, we pray. And God Almighty speaks. Let me be clear.
0: I'm not talking about extra biblical revelation God spoke to me.
1: I'm talking about... He spoke in Christ. The
0: God we cry out to is neither deaf nor mute. What is David crying out for? Verse 2. These are pleas for mercy. He's crying out for help. David is not trying to bargain with merits. He's crying out to a God, His covenant God, who he knows is rich in mercy, that mercy being help by which you need to understand deliverance. It's not assistance. This is not a little extra horsepower. This is deliverance. But easily dismissed in this, as we're looking at this, can be when and where David is crying out. He has to be heard when he lifts up his hands towards God's most holy sanctuary. Now regarding the posture, you see these lifted hands, especially as the the way this psalm is crafted, are an expression of, I need help. It's as if he's sinking into the pit. He does not want to be Drawn down into the pit with the wicked, and he's extending his arms, pleading for deliverance that he be heard. One of my favorite meditations on what prayer is comes from the pen of Warfield. It says, The soul in the attitude of prayer is like the flower turned upwards towards the sky and opening for the reception of life giving rain. What is prayer? He says, but in adoring appearing before God with a confession of our need and helplessness and a petition for His strength and blessing, what is prayer but a recognition of our dependence and a proclamation that all we dependent creatures need is found abundantly and to spare in God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not? What is prayer but the very adjustment of the heart for the
1: influx of grace? And these hands are outstretched toward
0: Yahweh's most holy sanctuary. Or as you more commonly may think of it, God's most holy place. That most inner sanctum of the tabernacle. And later the temple. Where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt as God's footstool. And He dwelt as King of His people. By means of the mediation of priest and sacrifice. That's where David stretches out his hands. The place where God has promised to dwell in love by the priest and sacrifices that he's provided for his people. What David's getting at is made clear when years later, Solomon would pray with outstretched arms toward the most holy place at the dedication of the temple. And he said, Will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Yahweh my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, when you hear, and when you hear, forgive. David and Solomon both were under no impression that God could be wrapped up in a box. What they knew was that that box was a picture that the high and holy God of heaven dwelt in covenant love as their king among them. And so with outstretched arms, they communicated their need and their dependence on the God who dwelt with His people in covenant
1: love by means of blood. And David's first plea is that
0: he be heard. The second plea comes in verse 3. And you see the parallelism. That he not be dragged off with the wicked. To not be heard is to be treated as the wicked. Now he just simply asks, don't let me be dragged off with the wicked. Spurgeon says, they shall be dragged off to hell like logs drawn to a fire. David fears lest he should be bound up in their bundle, drawn to their doom. And the fear is an appropriate one for every godly man. But you notice, it's obvious, David isn't simply terrified of their destination. He is repulsed by the way they get there. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. David doesn't just hate
1: Where they're going. He hates how they're going there. The saints hate not only sin's wages. They hate
0: the work of sin as well. The chief place they hate
1: it is in themselves. But nonetheless, they hate sin. If you don't walk with the wicked, then you certainly don't want to
0: end up where they're going. If you hate the walk, blessed is the man who walks not in the way of sinners. If you hate that walk, you hate where it's going.
1: Too often, it's just the end that's despised, not the road.
0: Speaking of the world as Babylon, Revelation warns, Come out of her, my people, lest if you part, take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Come out of her, lest you take part in her sins, lest you take part in her plagues. You don't want any doings with either one. The sins or the plagues which come upon them. Matthew Henry comments, Those that are careful not to partake with sinners in their sins have reason to hope that they shall not partake with them in their plagues. What I want you to see is that David's cry here is not simply because he doesn't want to go to hell. He hates the way of the wicked. And
1: hating that, he doesn't want to end where it's going. He wants to be near his God.
0: But David is not repulsed, you see, by the doctrine of hell altogether. Verse 4, give them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. In other words, drag them off. Let them go down to the pit. This isn't about personal vengeance. It is about divine justice. He appeals to the one who is judge, righteous and holy, to be himself in judgment, Righteous and holy. He's not asking for inequity. He's asking God to give them according to their deeds. Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Whenever we cry, come Lord Jesus, that's included in the package. And we shouldn't want that in part. Come Lord Jesus in the glory of your grace and salvation and in the glory of your judgment for they are wed and one in the same. Perhaps one of the most neglected parables of our Lord is that of the persistent widow in Luke 18. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Whenever the parable is taught, that's about as far as the application goes. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice." So that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will God not, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him? Day and night. Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. So, our selfish, perverted twist and take on this is keep praying, keep praying. Bother God like a little child asking for a sucker and eventually He'll break down and give it to you. The emphasis is put on the persistence and not the content. Here, the point is not sheer method. The point is, you should be praying for this. And don't lose heart in doing so. Despite everything that happens. The emphasis is first on the content, and then being persistent in praying for that
1: knowing that your Father will hear you as you cry out for that. And then in verse 5, we don't have a petition. We have a declaration of truth.
0: Because they do not regard the works of Yahweh or the work of His hands, He will tear them down and build them up no more. So the subject matter of verse 5 links it to the lament portion of this psalm. But as it's just this declaration of truth, you feel the confidence that's come about in this. It links it to the praise portion that's to follow. This verse serves as a transition. And now you begin to sense even more so the justness of David's plea for justice. He isn't simply crying out, they're unjustly attacking me. He's saying, they've sinned against you. They are truly wicked. They do not regard the works of Yahweh or the works of His hands. This disregard for the works of Yahweh is something Paul unfolds in Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They do not have a regard for the works of Yahweh. But here, I believe David is going beyond that. There is a specific work of Yahweh that they're guilty
1: of disregarding. This disregard still centers on
0: God, but it also involves David. It's disregarding the work that he spoke of in the second psalm. Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together, against Yahweh and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds away and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy heel. That's the work they're disregarding. I will tell of the decree. Yahweh said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will. Make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see why David could make this transition to saying, because they do not regard the work of Yahweh or the work of His hands, He will tear them down and build them up no more.
1: It's because God had spoken. This verse is the hinge. This is where the turn happens from
0: lament to laud. If we don't make the turn, something has gone wrong right here. We often fail to move from petition to praise because our conscience rightly testifies against us we have no business doing so. We have no reason to go from petition to praise because our prayer is not centered on God and His Word and His plan as we see happening in this instance, whenever our prayers and laments are an expression of your kingdom come, when that's your lament, Lord can easily follow. But I'm afraid our prayers are so often not an expression of your kingdom come, but my comfort and fun. If we are lamenting, if we are crying out, it's not so much in longing
1: for God's kingdom to come, but it's because our kingdom went. And when that's your lament, if laud follows, it's delusional.
0: Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. If If our prayers result in little faith, Most likely, it's because there's little of God's Word to them. They're built on sand. If you don't have faith in the answer, very likely, it's because you couldn't have faith in the question. Do you see the hypocrisy of the church then, that has no qualms asking God to bless the most recent building program? but
1: it doesn't feel like they should pray for justice to come upon the wicked.
0: John Piper penetratingly asks, could it be that many of our problems with prayer and much of our weakness in prayer come from the fact that we are not on active duty and yet we still try to use the transmitter? We have taken a wartime walkie-talkie and tried to turn it into a civilian intercom to call the servants for another cushion in the den. Piper chiefly had in mind prayer concerning the advance of the gospel, as rightly he should. But nonetheless, his maxim remains true in this vein as well concerning justice and deliverance. When he writes, We cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. Pray that knees will bow to King Jesus in repentance and faith. And pray that those knees that will not bow will one day be bowed before the throne of God's justice. That all glory might properly be given to the crucified
1: Lamb. Pray longing. For both of these things,
0: because they're promised in His Word. And rooting your prayers there, you will find lament, turn to laud, petition to praise. And verse 6. We see that turn happen, and I want you to see it happens by faith. Blessed be Yahweh, for He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. And that this is happening by faith is indicated by verses 8 and 9, where he's still praying that God be the saving refuge of His anointed, that He save His people and bless His heritage. I don't think anything's changed. David's been pleading, and now he's praising, and it's not as if a fireball came out. In the middle of the prayer and already has dealt with his enemies. And that's why he's praising. For your prayers to turn from petition to praise, you don't need the package in hand. All you need is assurance that a legitimate request went up to a faithful provider. You don't need to wait until God answers your prayer to respond in thanksgiving and praise. You simply need know that the prayer has been
1: heard, and the way you do that is not by knowing that you use the right method, but that you prayed in accord with His will,
0: as revealed in His Word. I don't think David's circumstances have changed a bit, and that's precisely why he lamented. His enemies were attacking and why he lauds the Lord. Because he is still his Lord. One truth is apparent with eyes and the other truth with the eyes of faith. Looking at the word and promises of God. And so he blesses Yahweh. To bless Yahweh is to praise him. For God to bless us means one thing for us to bless God doesn't mean we're providing for some kind of deficiency or giving him some kind of gift. It means to praise him. Psalm 34:1 I will bless Yahweh at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth. David praises and thanks Yahweh because he's heard his prayers for mercy. Our prayers should be mixtures Of both
1: longings and thanksgivings for the very same things. We should long and express that longing. And then even whenever it's
0: not fulfilled yet. Express thanksgiving and praise. When those are things we are assured are ours by faith.
1: Pray. There's one example. Pray that many Thai people will come to know our Lord and rejoice knowing
0: that around the throne of heaven there will be a host from every tribe, every people, every nation. He will get his due glory. David now praises his rock as his strength and his shield. Verse seven. He trusts, he says, and he is helped. That is the substance of prayer. We trust, He helps, He delivers. Spurgeon said, God and the praying man take shares. First, here is your share. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Secondly, here is God's share. I will deliver thee. Again, you take a share, for you shall be delivered. And then again, it is the Lord's turn. Thou shalt glorify me. Here is a compact, a covenant that God enter, enters, into you with, enters into with you who pray to Him and whom He helps. He says, you shall have the deliverance, but I must have the glory. Here's a delightful partnership. We obtain that which we so greatly need, and all that God getteth is the glory which is due unto His name. David expresses this thanks, this praise, this glory in song. when we. Pray well,
1: we will sing well. Good laments are
0: good fertilizer for praise. Holy lament is a rich compost for lament to bloom and to praise. As the first stanza of this psalm had that declaration of truth that served as a transition point from petition to praise in verse 5, we've got another declaration of truth in verse 8 that serves as a transition point from praise to petition. The difference is that the first declaration of truth concerned God's judgment of the wicked, and the second one concerns his salvation of His people and His anointed. Verse 8. Yahweh is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of His anointed. But also there's another transition that's happening with verse 8. You notice we went from the singular to the plural. He is the strength of His people. And we have the single again. Saving refuge of His anointed. Then plural again. Oh, save your People. This makes clear something you should have we should be implicitly understanding all the way through, and that's that David is not praying as a private person. He's praying as God's king over God's people. One of the reasons why he doesn't want to be bound up in the wicked is because God's people are bound up with him. His salvation is is their deliverance. These are the same things. Whenever Yahweh is the strength of His people, it means He's the saving refuge of His anointed. Because God's King was a warrior king that defeated the foes that attacked the people of God. If He goes down, they go down. If He's exalted, they're exalted. concludes with this plea that Yahweh save and Less, be their shepherd, carry them forever. But do you, can you sense that that final petition is energized by praise? There's a kind of lament that's in the first part of the petition. And that this end we can still say is a lament of sorts, but it's energized by praise and joy. Once again, we see in the Psalms that if we're to sing them truly, we must sing them with the voice of another first. So first we see David, God's king, praying and his people's fate bound up with him. But then we hear this prayer in the voice
1: of David's greater son. God's king. Jesus prayed, and His prayers were both an expression of lament and confidence. John 12, we find Jesus crying out, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Lament.
0: And then he says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. What's he drawing on? God's word.
1: He's putting his confidence therein. And after that follows this petition. Lament.
0: Confidence in God's revealed will. And then... The petition afterward is, Father, glorify your name. And we're told that then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And though he bore God's wrath and judgment, once he said, it is finished, he suffered no more. He was not dragged off with the wicked. To go down to the pit. He was dragged off to suffer for the wicked. But he was not dragged off to suffer with the wicked. His prayers have been heard. Hebrews 5.7 tells us. In the days of his flesh. Jesus offered up prayers and supplication. With loud cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. There is only one that ever prayed methodologically perfectly such that his prayers were heard. And that's Jesus. And now he stands, risen, seated at the right hand of the Father. And know this, whenever he prayed for the Father to glorify him, he prayed for the salvation of the people that were united to him. John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. King and people are bound together. His glorification is our salvation. When He was lifted up, so were we. When you were born again, you were born again with the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. The first fruits of the new creation. Whenever the God of peace crushes Satan under our feet, Romans 16, it will be because we are in union with the one whose nail-pierced foot destroyed the serpent's head. And so hearing Jesus sing this psalm, Let us be led... To lament and laud. And do so in Christ. Through Christ. For Christ. Centered on Christ. Here is your confidence, saints. That in Jesus Christ, you can spread your sinful and needy hands in Christ. Coming before the throne of God Almighty as a throne of grace. Hebrews 10, Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Christ is not only your King, He is your Priest. He is the great High Priest who offered Himself as a sacrifice for your sins and He intercedes for you. He prays better for you than you will ever pray for yourself and His prayers are heard. Let Him lead you. In laud and lament, in petition and praise, confident that every promise of God finds its yes and amen in Him. Whenever David wrote this psalm, he was not yet exalted above his enemies. But, dear saints,
1: our King is risen and exalted. Be assured,
0: then, God will indeed. Save his people. He will bless his heritage. He will be their shepherd. He will carry them forever. Bless his holy name. He is our strength. He is our shield. We trust in him and we shall be helped. So let us exalt and sing and praise and give him the glory. Do His name. Let's pray. Holy Father. Thank you. For Christ. And for every promise. That's true in Him. Thank you. That the gates of hell will not prevail against your church.
1: That the name of Christ will be exalted above all. That your King will not be thwarted. He is all our salvation, all our delight, all of our hope. Hear our cries. Praise be to you. They are heard in Christ. In His name. In His name we pray, Father. Amen.